Nima Mohajiri. Yeah. Um, I really try to pronounce that correctly. That's important to me. <laughs> At this point in my life, it's been butchered my <laughs> entire life. So as long as you give it a shot, it's cool with me. I appreciate it, man. Well, um, I'm excited to have you. It's the end of the day. So, you know, we're both drinking. I'm drinking a, a gluten-free beer, actually, from Spain that I've, uh, I've become quite obsessed with. Uh, and uh, Nima's got there some uh, 18-year-old, 12-year-old McAllen. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. That's the McAllen. That, that was a gift from a client, actually. Oh, nice. Okay. So, you know, I think he liked us. <laughs> I think I've got like three of them unopened, so please keep going through it. Been, a, been quite a week for us right now. Um, you know, our company is um, tied to a big major tech company called Salesforce, and they mm-hmm. got a bunch of layoffs. Sorry to start off on a negative note, but no, it's a roller coaster. And I have a 20 person company. How many people did Salesforce lay off, by the way? Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but every time the I. Thousands. Yeah. Like wow. maybe 10% of the workforce, maybe 15. And it's like a 30,000 people company or something like that. It's big. I think, I think they may be closer to 70. Wow. I could be wrong, but I'm not entirely certain. But I know that all the big tech companies have laid off 10, 20%. And these are, you know, these are really starting to shake people up, especially because, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but like, this is the first real recession that anybody who's under 40 years old has lived through and worked through. Yeah. It's one thing. A lot of the people who are like in their twenties and thirties, they're like, oh, I remember my dad, you know, told me about the recession, but like they didn't really work through it. And now it's just the very beginning of that. And it's hitting some of these bigger companies and it's starting to shake people up. Right. And, we're starting to see the beginning of it. So, what are the signs? Like, how are you guys suffering as a partner at the Salesforce? It's harder for us to explain that because I do have a I do have a smaller company. It's twenty people. You know, I bootstrapped it myself, but like we got to this point where we're so tight with how we run things that we have a few com- uh, customers that we're like anchored to that they're not really going anywhere because they have their business processes and they're in. You know, they're they're going build but- on Salesforce. You mean? Yes, we we basically so Salesforce comes out of the box got and it. it's like got to build one thing for one industry for like healthcare you got to build that for automotive financial they really rely on us to do everything else like we go in and build out the in, inner operations for like an entire bank or an entire like um, private equity firm or whatever right so Salesforce just gives you some tool and they really rely on us heavily and you customize it you deploy it you do customer we, support we work with customers for years after that. So we have some customers for, you know, two, three years we're working with building out all the different, you know, pieces of their business. And so we get really intimately involved with the with the company and we're just tied at the hip. So we're not really going anywhere with some of those bigger customers, but the newer leads have drastically stopped. And a lot of the reason for that is because the people we knew at Salesforce are not there anymore. So we would go to them, we would wine and dine them, right? That's how the motions go. And they're just, they're not there. They're gone. They're, you know. And the ones who are there are frozen a little bit because they're like, uh, not really sure what I need to do yet, right? But there's a big amount who are continuing. It's like status quo. Like, they're, let's just, you know, keep it going. But Salesforce, you know, has really shaken things up quite a bit uh, drastically. Like, overnight, they just laid So you basically lost your allies inside of the company. Like, the people that were, like, holding hands with you and, like, getting you into deals and things like that. In, in sales in general for any industry, you've always got your like, you've got your pipeline and you've got your continuous business and then you got the new lead. So like top of funnel, the top of funnel dried up drastically, probably for everybody. 
right? Because that's like where the new deals are being discussed. Yeah. And that's probably true across all tech, right? The top of funnel deals have cut in half or, or whatever it is, right? So that's scaring everybody now because things are grinding to a halt. And, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into like economics, but, you know, when totally. when money gets tight like that, when when money's loose, when interest rates are low and money's loose like that and businesses are able to get bank loans really easily, they want to expand and they want to compete. Yeah. And if you focus in on, you know, if we're talking about blue chip companies like Salesforce or whatever, you have Amazon, they're just in a, they're always in a, uh, in a, uh, what am I trying to say, like territory battle with their competitors. AWS is competing with Google, Salesforce is competing with Oracle, and they're like, money's loose, let's just go and just snatch up uh, territory, yeah, right? Yeah, get a market share. Oh, market share, exactly. So when, so when money gets tighter, they kind of like pull back a little bit and go back to what they're best at, and that's what we're seeing happening in the market. So you're saying that the top of the funnel is dried up, but that means that the middle and bottom of the funnel is still moving. So we're not seeing the consequences of this problem yet, but they're coming in the next few months. Because that's when you're not going to have that middle and bottom of the funnel full of people. Yeah, the businesses that are resting on shaky grounds are probably going to get dried up. The ones who are newer to market or don't have a really good go-to-market strategy or offering, especially in our particular space, who don't have deep uh, relationships with who they're selling with or customers that can sustain them. Um, because, you know, if, uh, again, if it's top of funnel and a lot of these companies are like trying something out, and, you know, we can go to something more tangible that maybe your audience or yourself could understand if you want to spread out to the rest of tech. If it's a, something that's a little bit more of a gambit, right, versus like an operating expense. So like Salesforce is clearly writing something in the operational uh, processes of a business, but something more like a, if you start a new social media business right now, you might not get the funding. It might be a lot harder, right? Like you're probably seeing a big hit in places like, uh, well, I guess NFTs or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. But Cryptos are probably actually doing well finally, but that's just because it's converse to the dollar. But yeah. I'm just saying things that were a little bit more when money's loose, things that were a little bit more of a gamble are probably going to get dried up right now. Yeah, because people are taking less risks. They're going to the things they know. Mm -hmm. They're more careful in their allocation of capital. Um, they're trying to invest in things that either have predictable outcomes that they've invested in before and they know they have a return uh, and they stop that gamble. They stop the new deals. They stop the innovation. They stop trying things I hadn't tried before and they're not right. proven. Um, it's really interesting because you see that, you know, even in the entertainment industry, we talked to a talent manager today and she was saying that, number one, there's a huge consolidation of studios. So basically like big studios buying small studios, big talent agencies buying smaller talent agencies that are like suffering. Um, and on top of that, you have the big streaming platforms, the Netflix of the world that are, instead of, and like betting on new ideas and like new movies, new IP, they're just going back and reinventing the same IP. They're like re-releasing Greece. I mean, come on. <laughs> what is doing what, that for decades, right? Yeah, they, they, they well, I think that now they're like extreme, like mm -hmm. really, really going after that because it's just proven. Yeah. And so they've basically stifled innovation completely. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's an industry that you obviously know more about than me, but like, it seems that it's run by Wall Street, right? And they're like, just show us how we're going to continuously make our money and if it's going to be like the same old movies. And that's why the people are starved for creativity, right? And that's why they look into like Korean movies and or foreign movies, yeah, right? Foreign and movies. like, so again, that's just, you know, high level observation. I could see where that would happen. But yeah, that's, 
yeah, that's where it's affecting all different industries. I, I agree. So. so how are you thinking in, about survival of the business? So right now, you know, your company is heavily reliant on Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm. Like when Salesforce takes a 180 degree turn, like what is in the future for you? Like, are you going to expand beyond that? Other services, other types of clients? Are you going to continue there, uh, but just other products? What's I actually love this part of the business because this is a part where the strong survive. And it's the part where if you clamp down and really get your business processes right, you can hire some really good people that probably wouldn't give a small company like us the time of day. Um, so we're able to hire really high level salespeople, engineers, project managers, uh, and really get our core business model right as well and really and really deliver like true value to the market. Um, we're only going to come out of this way stronger. So it's actually an opportunity hidden in a fearful time and that might be true in a lot of different ways so this is a time when a lot of people pull back and are fear, fearful but it's actually a time to go 10 times harder any lead we get right now I, you know i tell my sellers this you got to be you got to treat this like absolute gold whatever these guys want make sure you get it done right um make sure that anybody's on this meeting whoever you need to be uh, preparing for this meeting uh, uh we call them pre-sales architects Make sure that you're spending extra time explaining to them what it was. Don't assume anything that someone knows this. Make sure everybody on that meeting is like organized well in advance. So um, I think if we get these things right and we keep the market share that we have and, and any of the leads that are coming in, we, we hold on to them. I believe the competition is going to go away and that clears the market for the people who are really adding value. And in two years from now, we're going to accelerate drastically. So. so basically, mass extinction event, the strongest survive, and then the world is your oyster after that. I don't know if I'm that ambitious, but world <laughs> is your oyster. That's nice. I, I do think we're going to see some serious growth right now. Uh, I do because, you know, this is this is still, uh, you know, this is still America. There are people who need to do business. <laughs> That's not going to stop whatsoever. Right. There's still going to be a need to do what we do. And as long as we're adding value and doing it in a meaningful way will definitely still be around. Um, yeah, and I think that, the again, the people who are, I would not want to start this company, uh, start a business in this right now. Uh, I'll just say that. So. Yeah, it's one of the things. But funny enough, though, um, I think I saw, I saw a stat the other day with that it showed that there had been more businesses started in the past three months than in, like, I don't know, the last year and a half or two years. And basically, like all the a lot of the people that are getting fired, they're not going back to corporate. They're trying to go and do their own thing, um, which is going to be interesting. You know, a lot of the strongest businesses are actually born at difficult times. Um, especially, I mean, I know from the tech world, like some of the best platforms and marketplaces were founded in like 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the the origin story of the business of the company. Like yeah, I think um, it's an interesting point you make that like everybody nowadays there's a paradigm shift of like going from where our parents wanted to stay with a company for like generations years, it's yeah. different now right? everybody wants to do their own thing but what i think happens and i'll just zoom in on a point that happened to me not that long ago when i was in the business you know i don't know how much you guys uh, ever have you guys read the book uh, the e-myth no so the the entrepreneurial myth of got to read this book if you're ever starting a business that is the best book you can ever read. Now, I would read it multiple times. Every year, I would read it. I'm not even kidding. So, it's a short one. The E-Myth. But the E-Myth, yeah. The entrepreneurial myth. So, the E-Myth, in sum, what it talks about is the story about... They give an analogy about an individual who has 
um, a bakery, right? And they just get fed up with having a boss and they want to go and do this on their own. And what ends up happening, this is like very, very common for business owners that work somewhere and they'd be like, I'm getting bored of doing this on my own. I could be my own boss. And they end up trying that out. But what ends up happening was, you know, this individual who, uh, in the example of the book, they'll start out and they'll have their own bakery and they'll realize they'll have some success because they're good at making, you know, pies or whatever. Again, this is a fictional example. But what ends up happening if you fast forward a year, you know, they have a line out the door of their bakery is they're working in the business, not on the business. And they've just bought themselves a job. It's still another job for themselves. And so all these folks, what they will get stuck on, a lot of them, is that, yeah, you're working for yourself, but you're still tied to that business because you've not become an entrepreneur. And what... Um, you're just a worker in your own business. Yeah, basically. Right. And you might even have to work overtime. You might have to work seven days a week now because depending on what your business is. Right. So uh, if you can't trust anybody and step away and work on your business, you're always going to be stuck. You're actually not in an, any better place than you were before. Right. And the E-Myth explains this beautifully that you have to separate that out and you have to force yourself to not work in the business because and he says there's three different roles that you want to have. And this book totally changed my mind on how I was running things and accelerated the business growth. And so when I first started out our company, I did every single job, project management, business analyst, sales, accounting, marketing, et cetera, four years ago. I read this book and I realized, okay, this is just crazy. I need to step away from this business. And I started to hire for each, every role. And uh, there was another person, one of the, one of the shark tanks said this eloquently and I'll never forget it. She said, if someone could do the job 80%, hire them. 90% they're a star player, lower than 80% fire them, right? So somewhere in that range, you need to give that person the job. And so using these two kind of like concepts, I hired out the first, you know, um, basically the whole entire company now, has, there's a, somebody doing that job, right? Fast forward. And it just dawned on me that, and by the way, the last one I hired was a project manager. When I hired a good project manager with 10 years experience, instead of me doing it myself, the business took off, right? And the, the and I and I saw it because the clients were like, oh my God, look, this person has so much like domain expertise. And they started to take their contracts from $10,000 a month to $70,000, $80,000 a month. One or two clients started doing that. And I was like, oh my God, this is the value of having a person focused on that role versus me being an individual working in the business. What happened was about a couple of years ago, I gave, I hired people for every single function and a really weird psychological shift happened. I didn't have anything to do. I would wake up in the morning and I'd tell my fiance now, she was my girlfriend then, I'd be like, I don't have any accounting thing to do. I don't have any project management, business analyst. I, I literally have nothing to do all day. What am I supposed to do? I started to feel guilt, right? I was running this business by myself and I, everyone else had a job. And it wasn't until it started to like, you know, another paradigm shift of like, no, I'm the steward of the ship. I'm in charge of keeping these guys afloat. If this business sinks, it's on me, right? Like, so there was a whole other psychological shift that happened. But that timing is what I think people aren't understanding. Like, until you get there, until you're running the business up here and you're not in the business, you're not really an entrepreneur. You're just, just kind of working in a company for yourself. And that's really not that much freedom, to be honest with you. You might actually be working way more than a company because if you own the company, you don't, you don't, Friday, you don't shut off. You're still, you're thinking no. about that business all weekend. All day. Yeah. At night. 
It's interesting because one of the things, I think one of my products of that is that you're also limiting the growth of the business Mm -hmm. because you're trying to execute, you're trying to sell, you're trying to do all these different things. And instead of bringing experts to do those things, you're trying to multiply. And what ends up happening is you're not doing any of those things at 100%. So you're not actually delivering the value. You're hindering the growth of the business. What you think you're doing is like, I'm going to save money. I'm going to do this. You're actually preventing the business from growing. Completely. And and, and that's what the book talks about. The book talks about the business is a living, breathing. You can think of it like a baby. An organism. An organism is better than a baby. (laughs) But exactly. Like if you're working in it, you've got to actually keep the thing growing too, right? And you can't do that when you're involved in it. So exactly like you said. I always think of the analogy of like the the overprotective parent, mm-hmm. right? Like overprotective parents breed weak children. Mm-hmm. And like parents that give children freedom to go out and like experience the world and get scarred and fail. Those kids end up becoming strong because they've got battle scars, right? They've tried things. If you overprotect it, same thing with the business. It's like the business doesn't know how to do anything. It depends on you for everything. So you're a slave to it. Um, right. And so I, I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of the things you see with small businesses is that, there's also the fear of like, well, if I invest in this person, you know, what happens to that cash? Like that cash is now invested into this person. You know, I'm not paying myself as much. I'm not, you know, doing enough. And so I think one of the, one of the fears is like, well, you overload the business. Like you, you load it up with people. It becomes scarier in a way. Um, Cause having one or two employees is one thing. Having 30 or 40 employees is a different thing. Like payroll, it becomes a lot more scary when you're carrying that many people. I mean, that's definitely going to be the biggest cost in a business, especially early stages is going to be payroll. I mean, if I were to just give advice to somebody who were, sorry, uh, if I were to give advice to someone starting a business is don't hire until you need to. Yeah. Right. Um, It depends on what the role is. I guess in the beginning, you do want to have someone selling with you. I'd say that's the first thing you want to hire out is someone out there selling all the time. Um, I mean, you should co-sell with that person, but you have nothing without sales, right? But you're totally right. I mean, there is a fear there, but you gotta just get rid of that fear. Otherwise, you're gonna be a freelancer your whole life. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Plenty of people like to do freelance work, and I think that's probably where the majority of entrepreneurship is, but it's never gonna grow and scale, and you are effectively still in a different version of the corporate trappings that you were before. So But without the you know, without the support and the safety net that a corporate yeah. job gives you. Yeah. I mean, to some degree you have more freedom, right? But I think that it's interesting that the quintessential story of like, you become, you know, you work corporate and you go and become a freelancer and you start providing some sort of service, whatever it is, and then you want to grow. And there's always that challenge that I see where the handoff of the skill between an individual freelancer to their first hire or the first person in their team it's super interesting because it takes so much work, right? Like everything's been done the way you do it all the time. You acquire, mm-hmm. cu- you acquire the customer, you deliver the customer, you do everything, and then you're going to start growing. Like how did that happen for you? How did it go from like a one-man show into you know, a company of, what are you guys now, 20, 30 people? Like 20 people, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, so I'll just jump to my, my first. I, I was, uh, so my background was in finance, business school, management, consulting, started a business. I, I just couldn't work for anybody anymore. And when I was in consulting, I was like, I was weird. I wanted to get promoted. I wanted to run the business. I wanted to run the projects we were doing, projects for like Samsung, building out huge project for them, a mobile app for the state of Nevada. And I noticed there was someone selling the project and they would leave and go sell another project. And I'm like, 
Uh, and I'm just like kind of running the show and I'm like, I could probably do this on my own. They have, they got this big fancy name, um, you know, the company and all that. But like, what if I did a smaller version of it? My friend was like, if you think you do a better job, do it. And so what I did was I read a book. Uh, you'll notice that's the theme with me. Like, uh, a lot of these ideas I get from like reading a lot. Right. And so there's this book called dream. And in this book dream, what this guy did, he became called somebody uh, he had a marketing agency that ended up sold, selling to Google. So I, I believe the first, he he sold one of the predecessors to Google AdWords. And the way he did it was, he didn't know he was going to do that. But he was trying to he was trying to create some, trying to click campaign on on, uh, on ads. He called up the engineers, right? Lowered or lowered the t- baritone of his, made his voice baritone, right? Because he was like 16 years old. And was like, hey, I've got this contract. Uh, can you guys do engineering for me? Blah blah blah. If I get if I get um, if I get this contract, will that work? And he just wanted to give it a shot to see because he wanted to start a business at sixteen. And then the engineers were like, "Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you have a contract, let's talk." And then he started to call uh, the marketing agency that was gonna, or sorry, it was uh, one of the customers, and he was like, "Hey, we're able to do this service. Would you guys want to talk, etc." And he basically kind of lied to both of them. And, and then that actually worked, right? He flew out to England and well, you could read the, the book if you want, but that was so intriguing to me that what he did was he just paired up the two without actually having the business in place. Fake so, it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, yeah. <laughs> and so I did a little version of that. And when I was still working consulting, I talked to one of my friends who went to a marketing agency and I said, hey, I have some engineers I'm working with, right? And if I... You know, if I could, uh, can I bid on one of the contracts? I know you're a CMO there. Can I bid on one of these contracts? I've started a company and I used to, and he was like, yeah, Nima, I used to work with you back in the day. You got a company? Sure, I'll let you bid on this. And it was the Friends, the TV show mobile app. Okay, so they have a mobile app, a trivia game. It's out now and yeah, sucked, yeah. whatever. But I was going to, my company was going to bid on this, right? And I was like, oh shit, that worked, right? So I had my first lead. And then I called some people that knew some people that were engineers. And I was like, hey, if I have this contract, would you guys be able to, let's set up a little company? And they're like, let's do it. And so I had these two sides and I was still working somewhere. And at night I would just build this business and work on this contract and bid on this contract. And ended up, fast forward the story, it ended up being like a $350,000 contract. And I was in competition with some other companies, right? Didn't know what I was doing. I got the legal wrong, I got the billing wrong. The pitch deck was pretty good because I had done that a bunch of times and I quit my job because I thought this was going to happen, right? And fast forward to four months later, they were like, we got to postpone this a year. Oh, crap. And I'm sitting here in my kitchen, like had quit my job and went all in on this concept. And next thing you know, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm fucked, right? I can't believe this just happened. And, and my sister was like, get off your ass and get some more sales. Get some more of those. You did it once. Go do it again. And it took me a little while and I had to had an epiphany, but I went out and got more customers. Oh, I sold like my ass off for months and months and months. And fast forward to nine months in the or eight months in the business. And I had sold maybe a few hundred dollars of you know management or services. I was about to quit this close to quitting. I was like, all right, eight months. I got to give up. You know, I went to business school at USC. I had a lot of friends who were like getting promoted this and that. And I was like, the worst part of this whole journey now was me being by myself in my kitchen day after day with no customers, nobody calling, no business. No, there was one girl helping me at the time as an assistant. It was hell, hell. And I, and I really was going to quit. 
And in fact, I gained a bunch of weight. I was really like down and out. And my sister and my dad, they had an intervention. They came to me and they were like, I remember we were walking in Santa Monica. They were like, you have to quit. You're getting unhealthy. Like, go back to work, <laughs> right? Yeah, get a job had, again. Go get a job. What are you doing, right? And my sister was like, I, I, I just can't see you like this. And my dad said, I think you should keep going, right? And my sister was like, why would you tell him that? Look at him. He looks like shit. He's like, so what? Like, sell your investments and just do it. Because trust me, if you don't, and I never borrowed any money from anybody, right? But nor would I. And he was like, if you don't, you're going to go back to work and you're going to be an old man one day. And he'd be like, this is my shot at mm. entrepreneurship. And I Blood. gave up. Yeah. And you're never going to go back. Trust me. And I remember he said that. And I was like, okay. And then I took one more chance. I took some like really, really stupid risky thing. And I tried to sell mobile apps into the barbershop industry. Long story short, someone told me that was a good thing. I was the last ditch effort. Uh, I pivoted the business briefly, went and got a, um, uh, a booth at, at a, something in Vegas, got a bunch of leads, realized I was a bad business, came back. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. All right. And I was going to quit right then and there. And two days later, I was at the gym and I, my old boss calls me. He's like, you still have that company? I was like, yeah. He's like, I need you to start Monday uh, on a project. Right. And it was literally like a few days after I was like, I'm done. I'm going to quit. And like, right. It was, it was oh, wow. straight out of a, straight out of a movie in a way. Right. Um, for entrepreneurial nerds, like that's, you know, to me, that was like an interesting thing. that happened. Last right? minute of the last hour. I was going to, I was done. I was starting to look for other, I was about to start like applying for like other jobs to go back, but it was weird how I was really, really, really going to quit. I started the business and then, the, you know, there, there's more, there's more to it, but you know, today, fast forward for uh, four years later, we pivoted. Um, we really focused now on like Salesforce specifically. Um, you know, we were AWS partners, Salesforce partners. We did custom work. We ditched all that. So let's go to Salesforce. I know there's another like premise that I think um, I really live by, which is, and this is probably true for a lot of entrepreneurs. They, they try to do everything. They just get into an industry. They're like, let me appeal to everybody in the industry all at once. Right. But really the way to go fast is to go narrow, find your niche and get into that niche and own that niche. And so we don't just do Salesforce. We do Salesforce within a net, within a niche that Deloitte, and PwC can't can't play in that small niche, right? Why? Why can they get into it? <laughs> they have five hundred thousand dollar minimum contracts. They also don't have the time to sit there and learn about, like right now, we have two main industries. So one of them is like trucking and logistics, right? Deloitte kind of did they have time to find subject matter experts and that specific thing, right? Like they're just not gonna do that, right? So there is a lane for a small company to go in. But you got to get over this, like trying to compete with the big guys, right? Like find that small niche and go, go narrow and, but you can go a lot faster that way. So this is a very interesting topic. Okay. When you start a business, yeah. you kind of become a yes man. You say yes to every deal, mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. you can get, right? Whether it's your ideal customer or not, you just say yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. At some point in the growth of that business, you got to start saying no. Mm -hmm. You got to say, this is not the right customer. I got to give this up but it's incredibly difficult to give up that revenue. And I'll give you the example of Dilly. For us, we know like the best customers we have are in the personal care category. Beauty, cosmetics, personal care, you know, all, all, all of those kinds of products. We've done really well in that category. But when other customers come to us, it's really difficult for us to say no with 
kids' products, with electronics, with things like that. It's not our bread and butter. We know it's not our customer, but we still say yes. Why? Because we have this anxiety. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. this is a deal. We don't want to get past the deal, right? And the problem is that the more you do that, the more difficult it becomes to scale your business because mm-hmm. you need to build processes. You need to build mm-hmm. automation. You need to build repetition. And you can do that when you understand your client. When you do a hundred different types of clients, it becomes very difficult to do pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, it's a problem that a lot of small businesses face. When is the point in which you start saying no? You, you got to read Built to Sell, right? Not that you want to sell your business, not that I, anybody wants to sell their business, but that book, it's a poorly named book, sorry to the author of it, but that guy explains this perfectly. And what you got to think about here is like, if you were to step out of the business, how would the business be packaged and sold? Meaning if you were just gone tomorrow, what would the business do? And it actually, I'll get to your point in a, in a moment, but he solves this problem exactly of like, instead of being everything to anyone and pandering to whatever customer wants, because you're just, you remember what it's like to not have any revenue. Instead, try, try to get the business to where if you were to extrapolate yourself, if you were to extract yourself rather uh, from the business and create all these processes and focus on one niche and what do you guys do extremely well? What is your area? And in the book, I believe they talk about creating logos, which sounds like so obscure and tiny, but the business at first was like a design agency and they did everything for everyone. They would just take any business that they had, but they kind of were half-assed at it. When they cut all the crap out and they were like, we do logos and that was it. And they just walked through the examples of how like anybody they hired, whether it was sellers, whether it was uh, process uh, project managers, anybody, all they ever focused on was one thing. They ended up getting so much expertise that now it's not a race to the bottom on their price. It's we can add value from a position of power. We're the leaders of logo making, right? And now it's a paradigm shift. It's we don't play to the more the markets. This is we set the price, right? You still should be realistic, but that's where that changes, right? And so that book will explain all these concepts. Um, and I do think that that's a, that's a common place where, again, you're, you're here on the race to the bottom with all the freelancers and small businesses that never get out of the fray and never make an individual path for themselves or a brand for themselves. Uh, I'm still struggling with that. Believe me, there's people in my company that are like, we got this deal. Let's just take it. And I'm trying to push back on that and say, no, we have these two verticals. That's it. Like to say goodbye to the rest of the verticals. I don't even care what it is because we got to build a name for ourselves. We got to do everything we do has to be for these two things. And by the way, I got to continue to remind people that in the trucking and logistics part of Salesforce or the aviation or hotel, that's still like a hundred million dollar industry. If we, we could still make, why wouldn't you want to take, or even if it's 10 million, right? 10, 50 million, you add those three up, you take a 30, $50 million company in our industry, in our space, it's a 10 X EBITDA multiple. You're talking about a hundred million dollar company still in terms of valuation. Like they just get, you know, a lot of people just don't, they can't see that. And they just see like, Oh, we got this like deal that came from, you know, this industry or that industry. It's like, you got to force yourself to put blinders on and get really narrow. And that's how you can go fast. I couldn't agree more. Myers, you want to ask anything? We're holding the mic. Not necessarily. It's just been really cool to hear your story because I'm very much on the creative side of my brain. And so a lot of the the world of creating a small business or um, any of the sort of logistics behind that is 
very it's it's a foreign concept to me and so it's cool to hear that it's not necessarily that hard to do you just need to dedicate yourself um and get a little lucky well yeah what what role has luck played in the success of the company that's so interesting i've never considered us to have gotten lucky it just hasn't crossed my mind. I mean, luck. The, the harder you work, the luckier you got. No, I never thought about the concept of luck. I, I, I mean, it just didn't cross my mind. I mean, there, there wasn't, I don't know. It just hasn't crossed my mind. It's been hard, right? And the luck was where I've been able to be before I even started this whole thing. You know, I come from, you know, arguably upper middle class family where I, I got to go to like a good school or this or that. Or like, you know, my parents came from Iran, so they struggled. Don't get me wrong. But like, they put me in like a good neighborhood, right? Like, that's luck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I had uh, people to lean on uh, uncles and family who I could ask questions to. And I saw them aspiring to do that's that's enough luck for me. The rest was up to me. There's, there's no I haven't had no one gave me a penny to start this business or anything like that. I haven't had any lucky breaks in any. I, I went to business school at USC. I leveraged those contacts uh, a lot of the way. So, I mean, I created my own luck in that sense. Like the way I even knew to get in this business was through working at you know getting my master's degree or working even before that meeting the right people learning about this industry I, I don't see where luck is again other than like being able to be healthy and you know at least like average intelligence or whatever i am that's that's all the luck i've ever had so i don't know I about you, luck. you could you could call you know that one um client that reached out to you right when you were about to quit you could call that luck that's true because if he, if he had come to you like oh shoot this project got delayed a month you might have been gone by that point i would have been gone you know you, you would have you would have been at a company and just like your dad said you probably won't go back mm-hmm. you know so i guess when i when i said luck i specifically thought about that moment and it's like that's, that's a, a, it's okay. a like it's that yeah. movie magic moment that you're talking about it really felt that way to me it was really just like a shocking moment okay that i guess that's true um i don't know i'm i'm that was a that was a thing for me it was like you know you look back on your life and there's these moments and that was a moment for me that i'm like i, I feel like i don't know some force is pushing me towards being an entrepreneur and adding value and this is where my kind of like people ask me um what are my gifts right i have the c i have a lot of ceo mentors one of them was like what's your what's your gift right and i'm like it was really hard to understand what my gift was when i was younger because there was people who were always a little bit better than me at math a little bit better than me at that but i, I think now that i'm older i could see that i can kind of zoom out and see the big picture of things right um and i'm uh, uh meandering here a little bit on the conversation but um i think the I don't know. I really believe in some kind of force that pushed me here to get here. Let's put it that way. And I remember the the I remember being laying in my bed and being so frustrated with work and thinking like, damn, what am I doing in this corporate rat race? And all my friends in business school are at Facebook, Google, all these great companies. And I'm just like, I'm feeling like I'm I need because of inertia, I need to like get this certain salary because I went to business school, I need to match everybody, but like I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I had a two, three friends that made it in entrepreneurship in random ways. The girl I was dating at the time had a uh, uh, like Botox and crap like that, right? She no. just started that and then and started to take off. And I saw her do that. I saw my other buddy start a real estate company and this and that. And I'm like, these are just regular people like me. They start a business. Like, like, why can't I just start a business and see where it goes? Yeah. And so, you know, I connected the dots and did it. Where's luck playing to that? I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, um, again, I I truly believe in something like bigger push me towards this, but you know, I don't want to talk about that on this podcast. It might get too weird. <laughs> where where is this going? Like, what is the objective? Is it Very to sell clear. the business in a few years? I was driving a few years ago, and let me take a step back even further. Hopefully, I'm not going too much over the time. 2017, I was in Sweden. I have family in Sweden, the way around. I was in a funeral for my uncle. All my family uh, were like, we can't really hang out because we're on vacation. I was frustrated with my corporate career. I was running around this lake. It was frozen lake. And I would run around it because there was nothing else to do. And I was into running a lot. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to change my life when I get back home. And I said, okay, what am I, I'm going to send myself an email. And I'm going to have two goals in life. Number one goal is, a, is you know, one thing, which is, you know, I'm going to have a big, happy family in this many years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a $100 million tech company. Every other goal is a sub goal. And it, that's it. Every single day, I'm going to remind myself of those two goals. And that's how I'm going to be in five years, no matter what. I don't know what that $100 million tech company means. I don't know what that happy family means. I was single and not really happy. It's single. Now I'm engaged. But I was like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to fit into these goals. And so I sent myself an email every day at 11 o'clock. I still have it. It's been six years now. And that email says, I just got back from my run in Sweden. And here's where I'm going to have my two goals, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was like, look, if I just keep telling myself that and seeing that happen, I'm going to push away all the other crap that's not that. And guess where I'm at today is now I know I need a $30 million business in Salesforce because that imputes a $10, uh, $10 million valuation or EBITDA. And in our industry, it's about 10 to 12x, and that would be a $100 million sale. So now I know how to get to that place, and I need to be in the top 20, uh, what we're called an SI, systems integrator, to get that. And, and it's almost scary that that, that kind of happened because I said that in 2017 that I want to have a $100 million tech company, and then today I very clearly know exactly what those metrics are. I found myself here after a few years of looking at that email every single day at 11 o'clock, and I stop and think about that email every day still to this day. And I just kind of like shifted and adjusted. And now the goal is very clear. I need to create, and we're on our way, to create uh, one of the top 20 systems integrator companies for Salesforce. Uh, and I know who those who the competitors are. We're going after them <laughs> with full force. We even raised some money uh, to go after them. So we need to crack that. And we actually have gotten into the top 2% of Salesforce partners just recently. And now we just need to crack that top 20. And so when we crack that top 20, I know where those guys, I know that some of them are about 30 million revenue. And again, the math in our industry is that imputes a 33% profit margin, which is a 10 to 12X multiple on the business, which is 100 million. So it's almost like, I don't know how that happened, but that's how we got here. It's amazing the clarity you have on your objectives. I mean, how important is that to actually understand to get there? Because a lot of people think like, oh, I want to be rich. I want to make money. I want to do these things. But they don't have the clarity that you yeah. have. Yeah, I, I, I don't think um, I don't think I have any specific skills. I don't think I don't think you need specific skills. I think you need clarity. Because a lot of people where they get it wrong is they'll have two concepts in their head that are holding them back. Oh, I really want to be wealthy, but money is the root of all evil. But like you can't have those two things and be clear and move forward with your goals. You've got to just get super, super, super clear on what you want. And then you'll do whatever it takes to get there, whatever it takes to get there. And it's probably not as hard as you think to do what it takes to get there. Right. 
Uh, it's probably just like, you know, getting on the journey, getting on the path. It may not be like hard is the wrong sense. You got to get on the journey and keep going. And no matter what, keep going on that journey. But you got to start with clarity of what you want. Right. And you probably have a lot more skills than you realize. Right. Conventional wisdom in our society has taught you if you're not good at math and blah, 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 you're not you're not smart. That's, we're going to get we're going to laugh at that concept in 10 years because you'll probably realize you're good at some things, but you may not know what those are. Once you figure those out and you have clarity of your goal, you you will get there. But that's where most people and I guarantee if you talk to most people who don't ever get anywhere and are stuck in the rat race, it's because they have those conflicting ideas. Oh, I want to invest in properties, but I, you know, but it's hard. I, interest rates are high, right? They'll say something like that, right? And they just, there'll always be a duality there and they never get, they never break out of that and they never actually proceed and move forward because they don't get clarity in their own mind. Dude, this is amazing. Um, I loved it. It was like a, a masterclass on business building. So really appreciate it. Um any parting thoughts, any advice for that 20-year-old that's trying to think about whether to take a corporate job or start his own business or hers? What would you say to them? Well, I think when you're 20, unfortunately, the reality of it is you've got a lot of learning to do, and I would take the best job you could possibly get. My bias is go for management consulting so you can see the bird's eye view. If you have the ability to get in management consulting, do that. If not, get into sales because you're going to need to know sales no matter what at some point. Um, but... And, and sales is the best precursor to starting a business. You got to know how to sell. You can't sell. You can't start a company. So that'd be my parting words. Get into management consulting. If you can do that, great way to see a bird's eye view into tons of businesses. If not, get into sales because you got to get that going. That's half your business no matter what. Um, other than that, it's been really fun. First uh, you know, time here and uh, hopefully I didn't put you, your viewers right. asleep. It's amazing. <laughs> How, uh, what's your company uh, named? And, uh, SM Innovations. Uh, SM Innovations, you can Google us. We're just a Salesforce partner. Uh, that's all we do right now. We'll probably go back to our bread and butter where we go back to the cloud as well. Um, we are an AWS partner too, but right now, focus on becoming a top 20 Salesforce partner and uh, that's it. Nothing can stop us. Awesome, dude. Look forward to seeing that. <laughs> Thank you. Sweet. <laughs>